0: following podcast may contain spoilers hello and welcome to pat and jason binge movies episode
1: 24 i'm pat i'm jason This is the show that binges movies, sequels, reboots, franchises, and flops. Every season, we have a different movie theme. In season three, we are reviewing and ranking famous movie actors and actresses. In this episode, we'll be looking at the legendary John Candy.
0: And we'll be reviewing Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, which currently holds an amazing 92% on Rotten Tomatoes. All right, Jason. We finished season two. It's now season three. How do you feel about this? You excited? I'm excited not to be watching terrible sequels and reboots. Me too. (laughs) Uh, I'm glad we're through that. Maybe we'll revisit like that, like five years from now.
1: (laughs) We need some time to recuperate. If podcasting is even relevant in five years. If podcasting is even relevant right now. (laughs) We should be on YouTube, v-
0: man. V- It'll be VR podcasting by then. Oh, yeah, yeah. You just wear headsets, and you're sitting right next to your favorite podcast hosts.
1: Yeah, and then the the Samsung will explode right in your face, yes. blinding you. Blinding you. Like Jessica Alba in the eye. Yes, because you <laughs> want to see an explosion <laughs> Yep. in your eye. This is a different season for us. Yes. We've uh, never done anything like this before in two seasons. In two seasons. In <laughs> 22 episodes. In such a long time. It's been almost a year. It has been almost a year. Yeah, 11 months. Yeah. 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 Pretty pretty close. Yeah, pretty close. So, uh, you know, we're going to be looking, same format, five films. But each week we're going to look at five films of a particular actor or actress. And we'll be reviewing one and ranking all five. So that's what we're doing for season three. I'm actually really excited about it. I think we've got a good list of actors and actresses. I think we're going to cover a very wide range of. Of movies and types of movies and genres i'm and a, I'm excited
0: yeah it's gonna I think this is gonna really affect our top fives because now you have to really consider a single performance of an actor into your top five ranking very true, yes,
1: very true in our, our yeah cause uh, you're looking at the same person multiple times, yes, yeah, so, yeah, so it's very like, true
0: Did he do better in this movie versus this movie
1: right, yep, yeah, that's
0: very true maybe so. maybe in I think our list of triumphant returns might go up this
1: season. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not, not going to do a triumphant return. Every episode. <laughs> triumphant return of John Candy. Every, every every movie. Every movie. I'm not doing that. But we have another triumphant return. It's the triumphant return of the unnamed trivia game. It's going back to the way it should be, which is I ask the questions, and just when you think you know the answers, I change the questions, which actually happens on this show. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, Back yeah. to the way you like it, so no pressure on Jason. No pressure on me. <laughs> He's like I, I'm totally in, calm, cool, collected. In control. Yes. I know what's going on, and I don't have to be exposed to somebody who doesn't know anything about movie trivia. See, I think I got exposed a little bit on, on the episode. You had some really good questions, <laughs> yeah. though. Those were good. So you ready? Maybe. <laughs> Here we go. Let's do it. It's time to play, Woo! the unnamed trivia game. Question number one is about 1985s. A puke over there. No, no,
0: I just <laughs> I thought I was gonna cough. Oh, uh, like that, but I didn't want to see. in the microphone. Yeah,
1: I got you. Question number one is going to be about 1985's summer rental, which currently has a 15% on Rotten Tomatoes. Several movie posters can be seen in the movie theater, uh, these include Dragon Slayer, Uncommon Valor, Airplane, Footloose, and what other film?
0: Oh. I, I read that somewhere
1: it's prominent I picked one that was kind of prominent in the scene you know the movie because we talked about it uh, last episode maybe off mic I
0: don't remember that <laughs> 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 I, 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 I do know a side fact that they're all released by Paramount
1: yes yep ten seconds
0: um crap it's not
1: that uh, it's not the movie five seconds just give just throw something out there
0: throw something out there from
1: Paramount yeah from the 80s from the 80s uh, top Secret? Yes, that's it! Yes. Woo! Yeah, I gave you 20 extra seconds, but you got it, man. <laughs> I know,
0: I had to, like, rattle through my brain. Yeah. I was like, what is it, what is that's it? That's a
1: good reach, man. That was good. Question number two is about 1994's Wagons East, which is a marvelous 0%. Just when you thought we were getting away from the terrible getting films. Getting away from the terrible films. True or false, John Candy only appeared in this film... Film. (laughs) Film. Because he was contractually obligated to do so. True. That's correct. I studied. Yeah, you (laughs) studied this week. All right. So, uh, you got to beat Paul. Paul holds the record in season two for four out of five. Mm. You're almost there. Two more you tie, three more you're the new champ. Question number three. It's about 1991's Only the Lonely, which currently has a 62% on Rotten Tomatoes. This was actress Maureen O'Hara's first film in 20 years. What was her last role before this film? Name the movie. Oh, my gosh. This is a tough one. This is a tough one because yeah.
0: I don't know. I do know this was his, her film in 20 years and her last film. Yep. Uh, I cannot think of the name of the movie. Don't um, oh, I give up on this one. <laughs> I, I cannot pull a name of a movie out.
1: Yeah, it was 1971's Big Jake. Yeah, I was never going to get that. That's a (laughs) tough one. That's a tough one. You see, you can still tie. You can still tie. Here we go. Question number four. 1989's Uncle Buck, which currently has a 64% on Rotten Tomatoes. True or false? Okay, 50-50 shot here. All right. True or false? The scene where Miles interrogates Shanice through the mail slot gave director John Hughes the initial idea for Home Alone. True. All right. I'm on a roll. you on a roll. Except for that last the <laughs> one I missed. <laughs> Except for the one I missed. <laughs> Very, the previous question. All right. Here we go. Here's, this is for the tie. Question number five is about the movie we'll be reviewing in just a few seconds, Plane, Strains, and Automobiles, which came out in 1987 and currently has a 92% on Rotten Tomatoes. During the airport scene in Wichita, the board behind Ben Stein says that the destination is to where... Nowhere. Oh! You are tied! Yes. That was, yes, a, that that's was a, a terrible high five. Uh, horrible high five. Paul is going to have to come back now. We're going to have to yes, have a tiebreaker.
0: Tiebreaker, and this is my best record, I believe.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think you were three out of five before, so yes. this is four out of five. Good job, man. Good Studying,
0: job. studying helps
1: kids. <laughs> yeah, knowing facts <laughs> helps. You're in a trivia game. <laughs> All right, Pat, it's that time. It's time to review 1987's. Planes, trains, and automobiles. During holiday travel, some people get
0: delirious. Some get delayed.
1: And some get Del Griffin. American Light and Fixture, Director of Sales, Shower Curtain Ring Division. Neil Page got all three. I was on my way home to spend a nice holiday with my family. Instead, I'm in a motel bed with a stranger.
0: So instead of thanksgiving with his family, he's spending three days with the turkey. Steve!
1: Two happy clams just whistling down the road. Flintstones, meet the Flintstones, and the Martin family. Paramount Pictures presents... Wilma! We'll... Steve Martin. Ever been to Hawaii? Yeah you see Don Ho while you were there? See the second show. That's the best one. Is that right? Yeah. John Candy. Uh, Why are you holding my hand? Where's your other hand? Between two pillows. Those aren't pillows. In a new film by John Hughes. planes, trains and automobiles. See that Bears game last week? Yeah, hello game. Hello game. All right, let's do what we always do at the top of these reviews. Let's go through the two performances, (laughs) one by one. This long, long list of performances that we're gonna keep you here for hours. A lot of side characters, a lot of cameos, a lot of uh, names, ensemble people, you know, character actors in the movie. All good. We're but there's really two main characters. Uh, You can maybe argue three with his wife, but I thought let's just stick with the two main. Let's start with Steve Martin as Neil Page. He's really kind of your main protagonist for this film. Yeah, he is. Uh, What would you think of his performance?
0: I liked it. (laughs) He's a funny guy. Yay! Yay! (laughs) We're saying positive things. Are you a big Steve Martin fan? I actually am a big Steve Martin fan. I enjoy him a lot. Um, I think he...
1: You're a big fan of The Jerk? I am a big fan of The Jerk. I love that movie. (laughs) All I
0: need is this lamp and this thermos. That's all I need.
1: I don't care for The Jerk.
0: (laughs) You jerk. It sucks. (laughs) (laughs) Um, What do you think of him as Neil Page? He pulls off anal retentive very well. Yes, he does. And um, I love when he snaps because he pulls off uh, frantic
1: very well. Mm -hmm. I have similar things to say about both these actors. I think Steve Martin in particular had the perfect balance between being a type A snob but also still being a sympathetic protagonist.
0: Yeah, you still liked him, which is really hard to do. Yeah, because yeah, you can either be a type A snob and just go too far with that. Yeah, which most comedies do. Yeah, and, I think. And you're not you're not likable at not all. Like, yeah, right. And this guy is still likable and but and relatable to a bit.
1: Right. And Dell Griffith, aka John Candy, is an oaf. <laughs> He's kind of oafish. Yes. But he has a heart of gold and he never he never tips to the point of being obnoxious. Yeah. Right? Like you're always kind of on both you're on both their sides throughout the whole film when you easily in a lesser comedy could have hated Steve Martin or resented and hated John Candy and you don't or both or bo- yeah, yeah, or both. <laughs>
0: Cuz you can yeah, you can play those characters too far each way in the same comedy and hate both characters. Right. I I'm a fan of John Candy. In this film? I'm a fan yeah. of John Candy, and I am a big fan of his performance in this movie. Um, John Candy said this is even his favorite film of his. Mm. So, um, yeah, I agree with you completely that he pulls off that, that line of being oafish and, like, that heart of gold, because, like, he'll just do something, and you're like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe he did that, but then also just kind of all of a sudden kind of redeem himself mm-hmm. with, like, compassion or just love for people.
1: Yeah, he means well. He's a yeah. character who means well.
0: He just wants a friend.
1: Yeah. Yep. Very much so. And I think this movie in particular really this and one more we're going to talk about really captures what was great about John Candy, and that is he was able to be vulnerable in his comedy. Yeah. He he there's a vulnerability to him and a almost a bitter sweetness to his his better performances, and um, it, certainly with this character, there's a lot of vulnerability there. Yeah. Um, yeah. The g- great scene, classic scene, is the, you know the scene with them in the hotel room when Steve Martin just lays into him, which is funny, and then it stop. It's a great scene because it's funny and it stops being funny at a certain point, and you realize it's hurting him.
0: Yeah, yeah. And they they put that. Uh, you feel that emotional yep. weight
1: coming from both of those people, <clears throat> and it switches. Yeah,
0: it does switch because. Uh, they're both angry at a point, and it, it's a, a slow nuance. That you see the words finally getting to Dell, right? You, you, and it's just his face slowly changes from every camera change back and forth between um, yeah uh, Neil and Dell. Like it, it, like the words just hurt more and more and more, right? And then he comes back with his rebuttal to all that, and immediately Neil feels regret for his and his
1: he changes yeah his face changes that's that's an example of the there are, these are two world-class performances yeah because it's funny it's heartwarming it never feels like it's pandering to you either in comedy or trying to pull your heartstrings in like a phony way it feels very genuine i that, I think that has a lot to do with john hughes when he was at his best he knew how to write in that style yeah where oh, and, and he knew how to direct in that style so i think it's it's all, all three of those people, John Hughes, writer and director, Steve Martin, John Candy, at the height of their powers. So if you had to sum this movie up, what would your one-sentence synopsis be of planes, trains, and automobiles?
0: Well, my synopsis would be odd couple of wayward travelers join forces to battle the forces or the woes of defective transportation. <laughs> yeah,
1: that works. Mine would be an uptight executive and an oafish sweetheart must survive the trip from hell in order to get to Chicago in time for Thanksgiving, um, where do you want to start with this movie? I gotta. I'm gonna lay my cards out. Okay. <clears throat> I watch this movie every year around Thanksgiving time here in the United States. I know we have listeners all over the world. So uh,
0: it's November time. Yeah, right. <laughs> if, you, if you don't know. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. It's you know like the last Thursday in November, I think. Right. Yes. yes. Every year. So I I'm an American. I don't even know how <laughs> holidays. Um, Just and it's whenever somebody tells me it is. <laughs> yes. And it used to be a very meaningful holiday. It's become a lot about consumerism and getting the uh, lost its meaning. Yeah, cheap HD televisions, but it's it's something that was was created state by state this, before it was federally observed, the states observed it, and it was at different times and it was in it was a moment of reflection and a pause to be thankful to God for his provision for our nation, for our state, for our families and also to help others, uh, help pro- provide for other people and yes. be generous for other people and
0: be, fa- and be thankful
1: and be thankful and, and practice gratitude. Yes. Now it's about getting a cheap PlayStation four. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Standing in line at Best Buy for, for days, 48 hours or 72 hours or a week or whatever to get a Brock Lesnar exclusive WWE two K 17 gold edition How or do something. These
0: people still have jobs. I don't like
1: they take vacation time. It's-
0: I'm going to take a vacation. I'm going to camp out in Best Buy's parking lot for a week.
1: (laughs) This film, though, was made in a different era. Yes, uh, the 80s. Yeah, in American history where that was not as common at all. It was still a family-oriented, extended family-oriented holiday. I think it's one of the best comedies ever made. There's my review. (laughs) What I want to say about it is some movies are seen and experienced and whatever. Other movies are discovered. And they kind of come alive inside of you when you watch them. You you feel like, even if the movie is 50 years old, the first time you watch it, you feel like you are discovering a treasure. You feel like you have uncovered something really valuable and meaningful. And it kind of instantly means something to you. I don't know what year I watched this for the first time. It's always on television, especially at this time of year. Yeah, yeah. It's played year-round, though, but it, especially in, in Thanksgiving, this movie would come up and be on cable. And so I'd catch snippets of it here and there, and it was funny or whatever. But I, I want to say some point in the late 90s, I watched the whole thing through, either on AMC or USA, USA TNN, or, yeah, some random something. cable channel. Yeah. And off of TV, which is a slightly different edit than this one. There's some scenes that aren't in the theatrical cut. Yeah. Um, and I felt like I had discovered this movie. I felt like like I had found something of really, really valuable that nobody else knew about, even though it was on <laughs> broadcast television. At that point, it was 15 years old. And the
0: movie's been around for almost 10 years at that time. Yeah, yeah.
1: It felt very special. Yeah. And you just tap something, mm-hmm. and you're, pulled some heartstrings and... Just certain certain me. movies do that to us. Yeah. For me, that this is one of these movies, and so when I revisit it once or twice a year, uh, it's like a ritual in my life. Uh, good times, bad times, up, down, whatever. I keep coming back to this film. And that's the power of cinema, and that's the power of great performances. And it's so refreshing to talk about this <laughs> yeah. as opposed to some hackneyed script. <sighs>
0: just I, just, like, I just had to get that What were that out. they thinking? Yeah.
1: I can't believe this is happening. No, it's, I, I have had that moment this episode, and we'll get to it. But yeah. it's not this film. <laughs> no, it's not this film. Yeah, no.
0: I don't know. I, 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 I love this film. I agree with you. It's probably one of the greatest comedies of all time. Just keep talking about how much we love it. Um, it makes for it
1: a boring podcast, but it's the truth.
0: But I don't have that uh, that primal instinct of that connection that you have. Hmm. I can say, I guess, a primal would work. It's just in you, sure, to like grasp to this film and. Cuddle it. <laughs> Cuddle it.
1: I love <laughs> cuddling this film. Yes,
0: And then the film asks, where's your other hand? <laughs>
1: <laughs> I think what works about the movie, though, is both of these characters are us. They're both different sides of us. Okay. In, in each and every audience member, there is that. Even if you're a total slob or a total whatever, there is a type A. There's something everybody is neurotic about. There's something that everybody is type A about, controlling about. Everybody's got to stick up their rear. Something. When it comes to something. Yeah. And everybody is Dell. Everybody is... A goof. Yeah. Um, not stupid. Not stupid. Dell is not stupid. But everybody has good intentions. Yeah. But fumbles through life.
0: That's a good way to put it.
1: And that's what he... He means well. He intends well. But it doesn't always turn out well for him or other people. And we all know what it means. We all have had some experience of having good intentions and feeling confident and feeling good about yourself. And then mm-hmm. things go sideways. Things go sideways. Whether it was, you know, somebody pantses you at school or like whatever. You trip in the hallway. Your, car, your <laughs> car catches on fire. Whatever. You break a seat in a car. Whatever it is. Like we everybody's had that experience of feeling confident and and being vulnerable in the world. And... So we are both of these characters. And so I think that's part of the reason why we can relate to them. We see ourselves in both of them. First thing, I thought you were going to go a different
0: direction and say one of us was Dell and one of us was, <laughs> <laughs> was Neil.
1: I was going to be like, where oh, you going to go with I, this? I'd be Neil. You're going to be sure. Neil? Yeah. I don't think you're really Dell, though.
0: I don't think so either.
1: No. We're both Neils. Oh, <laughs> no. We're both Neil Breen's. <laughs> Maybe you're yes. the Neil Breen and I'm the Neil Page. You guys <laughs> ever thought about that? I haven't thought about that. Mm, okay. And all the banks. I, I think this movie is another example too of um, John Hughes uh, has these great visual gags. Yeah, that he inserts that are totally unnecessary. They're 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 totally superfluous, but they punctuate the movie and they they they're part of the comedic rhythm of
0: the film. I think one thing I can think of is when the car was on fire and he or no, it wasn't before the car was on fire. Like the it was with the credit card and Neil's shaking. Uh, Del. Yes. Right. <laughs> he's just going back and forth. And you're just shaking him. Then he'd like pause and say something and then he would just shake him again.
1: Yeah. There's all those little things that just are like affect the tempo of the movie. Yes. And John Hughes had these great scripts when he was once again at the top of his form. A lot of little jokes. Car seat was
0: in, probably a big one. Yeah. A
1: lot of little jokes that lead up to big laughs. It's not, he's not trying to hit a home run every time. It's yeah. a lot of singles. It's a lot of chuckle I want you to chuckle it's humorous it's a humorous situation then big laugh then chuckle then guffaw then belly laugh like he's working you up the whole time and then bringing you back down and working you back up like even the 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 trivia question you know behind Ben Stein there's just little creative visual flourishes destination nowhere it's just all these little things that he throws into the film and it comes up in Uncle Buck as well um, that just make his his movies John Hughes films especially when in the 80s, have a unique feeling to them. They have a unique, I don't know what it is, he's got a unique directorial style that when you're watching a John Hughes film from the 1980s, you know it's him.
0: Yeah, as soon as you sit down you're it's like, whether you're watching Planes, Trains, or Automobiles, Uncle Buck, Breakfast Club, Club, Pretty in Pink, Sixteen Candles. You you just immediately know this is a John Hughes film. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and you you can tell by the dialogue. You can tell by the pacing. You can tell by the visual pacing. He, he's just always oh, got these little flourishes. Um, I, I'll bring it up because it's relevant now. Like in Uncle Buck, there's a totally unnecessary scene where Macaulay Culkin, uh, Miles, goes to school after Uncle Buck has been with him for like a day. And it's the first day he's packed his lunch. And he's just got the most random assortment of just, just to- stuff. Like some of it, you don't even know what it is.
0: Yeah, there's that one thing in the bag that was, like,
1: green. Yeah. And I was like, I don't even know what that is. <laughs> yeah, and he's just like, w- could I interest you in an ch- a cha- exchange For or something? Lunch trade. Yeah, lunch trade. And the kid it's kid. just an, it's a bird's eye overhead shot of the whole table in sync, pulling away from him. Yeah. You you could have shot, one, the whole scene's unnecessary. Two, you could have just shot it straight, just looking at it. Why go the extra mile to have this overhead shot where everybody's pulling out but, because it's more creative, it's more interesting, and it's funnier. Yeah. And I think John Hughes has this great instinct, or had a great instinct, because he's deceased as well, for what looked funnier, of how he could set up a shot in the funniest way possible. And then so you have that going on with the script. He does this great thing. Um, he has these several gags where mid-gag, mid-joke, there's another unseen joke that happened screen that one of the characters will bring up. That makes the joke that you're currently in even more funny halfway through. Are you following along? Does that make sense? Yeah. The perfect example is the hotel scene. Yes. The bed. The bed. When It brings where, up the
0: beer. Well, I don't know. I was going to go to when they wake up in the morning after spooning and then uh, Neil goes into the bathroom to, and he's like splashing yes, water in his yes, face. Yes. Yes. And then off the screen you can hear John. It's like, hey, can you pull my socks out of the, yeah, the sink? And right. then he's like patting his face down with his underwear. Yeah. Right. I mean, like those were like off screen stuff that right. impacted into a scene
1: yeah that, that's a perfect example the example I was thinking of was uh dell in the bed the shower we start yes. with the shower yes which is a great use of score this this movie also is a great use of score there's a there's long sections without any music whatsoever which does not happen in movies anymore no especially comedies they're always something playing some sort of music to try to manipulate you into a response not this the film just breathes it's just dialogue focused it's little acting minutiae facial expressions hand gesture so the, all the comedy comes from the performance and what's happening which is great so the shower scene's funny great use of music great visual design of that scene you when he steps out of that shower and you hear the squish you feel exactly what he's feeling in that moment. Yeah. And he's like, oh. Ugh. So then it just you know, there's the whole thing there. Then it cuts to the, the bed. And Steve Martin is it's John Kenny, a very large man. Steve Martin, slight man. They don't know each other. They're in a full size bed. Like twin bed or something. Yeah, it's, just, it's, it's, it's bigger a than bed. a full, but yeah. I don't think it's it's not a maybe a queen at most. Maybe. They're they're uncomfortably trying to l- lay next to each other. They can't get comfortable. That's funny. That's a that's a not a big laugh, but it's a gentle laugh. It's a funny situation. Cause you think about how awkward it would be to be in that situation. And then midway through that scene, because the joke is John Candy keeps doing this obnoxious stuff. Midway through that scene, John Candy's <laughs> something to the effect of if I had oh I'm you know, if I had any idea those beers were gonna blow like that. <laughs> I wouldn't left him on the bed. <laughs> so we never see that though. Yeah. We see him put change in the bed and the bed vibrate. Yes. The magic fingers. Yeah. It never shows us the beer exploding
0: or the beer at all. Or the either. Yeah.
1: And so then he's like, well, you know, yeah, you're sorry, but I got laying a puddle of beer all night. And that, so it makes the entire context of that joke of them sharing a bed, even funnier. And it's something that we never even see. That is, that's next level comedic writing and comedic performance.
0: Yeah, because sometimes we just don't need to see everything. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we just need to be, well, I don't want to say told. But I guess told is the right thing. I mean, I mean, we've talked about you don't need to tell us everything. Sometimes right. we can just figure things out on our own. But this is an instance. Don't show us. Tell us. Leave it to our imagination. But leave it to our imagination. Yeah. Yeah. Don't, like, go too far into detail. Just say, like, that scene's beer and we'll figure it out and it wouldn't vibrating bed. Yeah, it wouldn't
1: be as funny if we saw it if we didn't have to do the work of connecting the dots. Yeah. If if it just would have been a scene where beer explodes on a bed, you'd be like, would, "Oh, that sucks." Yeah, it it would have been humorous, but the better joke is not showing you. And then you, the realization is dawning on you that he's laying in a puddle of beer. Yeah, cuz
0: <laughs> cuz now you're thinking about it, you're putting yourself in that situation, Yep, and you're like, "He's laying in a bed with a strange man."
1: Yep that's the setup in a puddle of beer that's the punchline within a larger setup and punchline
0: yeah so it's like i feel sorry for that man (laughs) right yeah
1: but you're also laughing at it yeah because you're like that sucks that sucks (laughs) yeah and you know somebody i don't know who said it but i've heard it repeated multiple times that comedy is really subverting expectations the setup leads the audience's mind one way the payoff is something completely else so you're subverting expectations and you're surprising people. Okay. And so they say, they, whoever they is, <laughs> people say that, that there's two responses to being surprised, laughter and fear, and the two are almost interchangeable. We laugh and we're afraid often. Yes. This movie masterfully sets you up. You think you know where it's going. The joke's going one way, and it maybe does go that way, but there's three more jokes that go a completely diff- different way off of that.
0: It. it- kind of reminded me a little bit um, going back to season one when we talked about um, Hot Fuzz. Yes. With like Edgar Wright and um, Simon Pegg and how their writing style of having jokes inside of jokes and references inside of references. It's kind of like they took a note
1: from John Hughes. Could be. Yeah. It could be. I think the only difference is that they have a more frenetic style. That's true. You know, and John Hughes has a more laid back style. He he's very rarely like you know Edgar Wright, especially in that era. Yeah, They're yeah. doing different stuff now, but it was just bam, 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 bam. bam. It was it was like, rapid. fire. Yeah, you're getting bombarded. Where John Hughes is, he's taking his time to lay stuff out. Yeah, and you know, put these characters into situations and, and actual characters, actual <laughs> actual characters that feel like people. Yeah, Neil feels like a real person. Dell feels like a real person. They feel like people you would meet in the real world because they have character tra- traits and mm-hmm. uh, personalities. So if you had to give this movie a grade out of ten, out of ten, what would it be? Uh, nine point five. Okay. Anything you don't like about it? We've just kissed this movie's butt for five hours. Five hours. Um, it does feel a bit
0: dated now, mm. but I mean that you can I can't really fault the movie for that because it is a product of the eighties. Mm-hmm. What uh, makes it feel dated?
1: Payphones. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that that really makes it feel dated. Um but I mean I can get past that personally. Because, uh, I mean, I like Hitchcock films. Those are definitely dated films. Sure, right. But um there's not really too much I don't like about it. Um no. That's yeah. <laughs> I, I'm trying to I'm trying. Yeah. It's it's yeah. it's really hard to think of horrible things to say about planes, trains, and automobiles. It's <laughs> not to be horrible. No, I mean You can you provide a critique. A critique or something like that. I mean do you, I'm sure you've seen this movie more than I have. Yeah. So I'm sure you have maybe minor critiques or I nitpicks. don't. You don't? No. In you fact, think this is a perfect movie? In fact, right?
1: this is the only the second time in uh, our show. I think it's only second time. Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah. Was, uh, not was, at all in season two. What was the first Aliens, movie? I think. Oh, yeah. So it was a perfect action movie.
0: Yes. Yeah. yeah you gave Aliens and you, you said if you had to give a grade for Alien, it would be a perfect film.
1: Yeah. This is a 10 out of 10 for me. Um, and maybe that's me not being objective. The thing that bothers me about the film has nothing to do with the movie itself. It has to do with the fact that this movie, they originally had three and a half hours worth of material. A lot of it improv between candy and Martin that John Hughes had that footage.
0: Yeah. The, there's a three hour cut of this movie. Yes.
1: And allegedly his widow has it or knows where it is or somebody, I think or the studio. Or I think the studio still has, has it. access to it. And maybe it would ruin this film, you know. I don't know. But I'd love to see some of those scenes on, like, a special edition.
0: Yeah, because I, I heard that the the script was longer than a normal comedy script. Yeah. Um. So I, there's, like, a lot of scenes that they filmed that just didn't make it into the final cut. And there's a
1: couple of scenes like that. There's a, there's a couple of um scenes that are in the film that don't make sense, if you really think about it. Like, at the very end... After the car gets impounded by Michael McKean. Yeah. Um, I think it's Michael McKean, isn't it? Um, I don't know. After the car gets impounded. Yes. Um, Dell shows up with a black eye. There's no explanation. Originally, there was a scene where they had to appear in tra- traffic court. And there was a, the judge was a, like a cameo. Totally some, cut. Yeah. Some, it was somebody. Some, somebody. Yeah, somebody. And uh, Steve Martin punched him in the face. And they, they got in a fist fight and gave him the black eye. So Dell has a black eye for the last... 10 minutes of the film, no explanation why. The ending is really weird with the wife. And it bothered me for years because he comes home and the kids are excited to see him. And the wife is, has reservations. you're like, what is her problem? Like, what, what is the deal? And then when he says, honey, I'd like to introduce you to Del Griffith or Mr. Griffith or whatever his name is. And she says, hello, Mr. Griffith. And oh, then no, he
0: says, uh, I want to introduce you to a friend of mine. Yeah. And then she immediately knows his name.
1: Yes. And and she says he says hello Mrs Page and it's this real sentimental moment. And you're thinking why is that so sentimental? Other than you know whatever, there was a whole subplot that they cut that there was they filmed it they cut it where she thought he was having an affair because he was too busy with his job, and she thought that all of his everything that he said was happening was an excuse because he was with another woman and and Dell Griffith was that other woman. So when she he brings. Del home she realizes he was telling the truth the whole time and they reconcile hmm. which gives that scene a whole different feel, feel and, and poignant meaning and, and point Yeah. So. Yeah. Interesting. Little things like that. So I I just would like to as a total fanboy just view Just of, I want to see the material. Yeah. I don't know if I want to watch it for 3 hours but give me the options of watching the scenes.
0: Yeah, cuz I heard it's not really cut in order. No. It's it's just straight 3 hours of film.
1: Yeah, it's them riffing and them yeah, playing around with scenes. And I want to see that though, because you have two comedic geniuses, three, if you include John Hughes himself, yeah, d- doing great stuff. It's one of the greatest holiday movies ever made. It's available on streaming, Blu ray, DVD, and at least in North America, it's easily accessible.
0: Oh, absolutely. It's easy to find.
1: So that's our review of Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. <laughs> it's time to cue the epic. Ranking music. Let's do it. All right, Pat. We binged five films of legendary actor, the late great John Candy. Pat, what is the worst John Candy movie you binged this week?
0: Well, I, I have a feeling that our list is probably going to be right, right down the line. Yeah, probably right down the yeah. line. Like as I'm going along, like this is probably going to be like. Bleep. Um, my number five is going to be wagons East.
1: Oh yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, Woo! just when you thought we were getting into the good movies, huh? Yeah. Holy moly. Woo. Um, uh, uh that does, have zero percent. Yes. Tomatoes. Uh, what is the plot of wagons? East? cause I, I feel like a lot of people have not seen this film. Uh,
0: part of the wagons. East is a, it's a comedy. So it is pioneers in the West. Decided to quit and go back east.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's it. Yep. Yeah. We do have a triumphant return, though. Who's that? John C. McGinley. Oh, that's right! Triumphant return! From Highlander 2. From Highlander The quickening. Two. Yes. That's right. Yeah, good call, buddy. Yes. What are your thoughts on Wagons East? Because <laughs> it's my number five as well. It's your so number five? I want to give you space to talk about it. Um... I'm gonna let loose. You're gonna let loose. <laughs> yeah. I got one last rant left in me I, from season two. I wanted to like this movie. That makes one of us. I,
0: I, well, it's just because I never seen this before. Okay. So I, I, I was going to be like. Okay, it's John Candy. How bad can it be? And it's
1: his last film,
0: and it's his last film. Right. Like, so I was like, I, I, I kind of want to like this a bit.
1: And he died, literally he died, died making the movie. Yeah, there's a lot of so th- they cut scenes because they couldn't film anymore. And they reuse footage, which is very obvious. Yeah, they reuse footage. He disappears for huge chunks. Yeah. Because his whole plot's cut. And there's uh
0: his stunt doubles, filming scenes for him. So I mean
1: it's a mess. Yeah, it's a mess.
0: Yeah. Uh it is stereotypical, borderline offensive to everybody. Every stereotype. Yeah. Except blacks, I don't think. <laughs> African Americans. <laughs> yes. What's the
1: correct term? <laughs> African Americans. Is it African Americans? Yeah. Okay. Correct term is whatever people want to be called. That's true. Yeah. Um. Yeah. This. Listen, if you haven't seen the movie, you find gays funny. You find bestiality funny. You find slack-jawed yokels funny. Hey, you find getting hit in the groin funny. You find falling down in mud funny. Cause that's all this movie is, over and over and over again.
0: And, and then there's a whole shtick with uh, a wily e. coyote wannabe,
1: yes, me character. Yes, that was my next note. This movie is an unfunny Looney Tunes cartoon. Yes, that goes on for an hour and forty seven minutes. Did you laugh at all in this film? No. One laugh. I had two laughs. You had two laughs. One came from me, and I can't even remember it. You laughed at yourself. I laughed at myself. <laughs> I, what it was is, I predicted towards the beginning of the film that uh, there was going to be a gag with a guy having sex with his own cow, and that was came up at the beginning. Yeah, and then like I and I predicted there would be a dream sequence where the cow and him would be running towards each other in a field, and that happened at the end of the movie. And I laughed out loud because I thought of the sickest stupidest thing i could and it, and it happened so i laughed at myself and number two it's a awful awful joke i laughed only out of shock and because you couldn't do this joke today i don't think the joke was the calvary shows up and they tell them you gotta go back west uh or else and uh, richard lewis says uh, or else what and he says or uh, where the calvary will massacre you or standard calvary massacre yeah he points to the Native American and says, you know what you're talking about. "Ask this guy; he knows what I'm talking
0: about." Yeah, <laughs> I, thought, I was like, whoa.
1: "Whoa, whoa, whoa! That's dark." Yeah, this is in the '60s. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but there's not, there's not, there's really not a lot else in this film that's that dark. No, it, that's a dark And it comes joke. out, and
0: it comes out of nowhere.
1: Yes, this film, in a terrible way, reminded me of that Seth MacFarlane movie, "A Million Ways to Die in the West." Yes, that's the tone of the film uh it's i don't know if you have more to say I about it
0: really don't i mean it's just <laughs> i mean it, it's a stereotypical want to be funny comedy when they try too hard the editing's bad it's poorly it, it's hate. choppy Um uh, there's scenes where you can tell that they sped up the footage yes um and i'm like why
1: yeah yeah, and this, the footage they reused of John Candy from earlier scenes, it's so obvious and disjo- It There's two problems with the film, right? The problem is John Candy, well, n- number of problems. Um, it's hard to say this because I love him and this was his last film. He's not good in this movie. He didn't want to do it. You can tell. Yeah. From the moment he walks on screen, he does not look like he wants to be there at all on any level. That's problem number one. He was contractually obligated and didn't want to do it. Number two, he died making it. They didn't finish the scenes. They couldn't finish his stuff. So this is some sort of random patchwork of the best they could cobble together of his scenes and his stunt double and reuse footage. And Wherever so they can find just he's supposed you know. to be like the supporting character or the co-lead with Richard Lewis. Yeah. I mean, there are long stretches. He's not in the film. Yeah, he just disappears disappears from scenes isn't a part of jokes no one and no one says anything more like where he's at or what's going on he's just gone so that's another problem the other problem is the script isn't good so even if he hadn't passed away and he wanted to do this movie he might have been good in it because he he made a lot of bad movies unfortunately but he was typically good even if the film wasn't yeah uh i i don't know if it would have rescued this film i think the movie at base level was bad and everything beyond that was bad. It's one of the worst movies I've ever seen. I hated it. <laughs> I yeah. I um, absolutely hated it. And I it, remembered two things about this film. Okay. The guy that plays Chuck from the Ernest franchise. Maybe when we do, when, if we go back to franchises, <laughs> we'll do the Ernest franchise. Okay. We'll binge five Ernest movies. <laughs> Ernest oh, Scared like. Stupid. <laughs> Ernest Goes to College. Ernest goes Slam Dunk Ernest. Ernest Goes Ernest. to Prison. Ernest Goes to Prison. Ernest Goes to Jail. Oh, jail. I'm sorry. Ernest Goes to Africa. Ernest rides again. <laughs> uh, it's, it's too many. It's more than five. <laughs> Ernest saves camp. That was the first one, we right? Goes to camp. Ernest goes to camp. Yes. Ernest saves Christmas. Yes. <laughs> so, so, so many. Maybe we'll do the Ernest movies. But Chuck from Ernest and Hey Vern, it's Ernest. The TV shows in this. That's a deep reference. I don't know if anybody will get it. Well, there's also two uh, Star Trek Voyager
0: characters. That's right. Um, Richard Bicardo and the Ferengi. Isn't it what that no, one no, guy was? Uh, was, he was he a Ferengi?
1: Uh, I'm going to pull
0: my Star Trek knowledge out. Okay. He, he was a Talaxian. Okay. He's a bartender? He's the cook. Cook. That's yes. right. Yeah. 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 There that, is a Frankie bartender that's on Deep Space Nine.
1: Okay. All right. Sorry. <laughs> Get your Star Trek right, man. Um, I think we've beat it up enough. What's your number four? Um, my number four is going to be Summer Rental. Me too! Yay! Look at this. What's the plot of Summer Rental? It's got um, a 15% of Rotten Tomatoes.
0: Summer Rental is a air traffic controller who has basically a nervous breakdown yeah. and is mandated to go on vacation.
1: And then things get worse from there. Yeah, and yeah. he just
0: gets drunk all, all this whole vacation.
1: Yeah, I said a burned out air traffic controller goes on vacation with his family and rediscovers his passion for life. That's kind of his character arc. Yeah. What are your thoughts on Summer Rental? You, had you ever seen this film?
0: Uh, I've seen this before, maybe a couple times on TV. It's been years mm-hmm. or decades since I've seen this movie. Um, so I forgot a lot of it. Uh, this one had a triumphant return, too. See if you can pull it. A triumphant return. Mm-hmm.
1: Oh, Rip Torn! Rip Torn! From RoboCop 3. <laughs> from RoboCop 3. The, the legendary Rip Torn. Yes,
0: legendary. So,
1: and one of your favorite actors, Richard Krenna, plays the villain in this. Guy from Rambo. Commander. Oh, okay, yes. Colonel, what's his name?
0: Colonel um, Troutman. It?
1: Troutman, yeah. I was going to
0: say it's the t-, t. Yeah.
1: I'm surprised you didn't have that right at the tip of your brain. Tip of your brain? Whatever, you know what I mean. Yeah, tip of my tongue, tip of my brain. <laughs> same thing. What are your thoughts on Summer Rental?
0: Um, you know, this movie came out in, what, 84? Uh, I don't know, 80, 85,
1: maybe? 85, around that time? Yeah.
0: There was a bunch of movies similar to this one Yes, coming out at the same time. So I think it was just a studio trying to capture the summer movie. Yeah, eighty five. Yeah, so they're I mean they're doing, there was summer rentals, summer school. they were just kind of doing these kind of summer movies at that time.
1: Summer school was directed by the same guy, Carl Reiner.
0: Yeah, yep. So I mean they're they're just pumping these things out. Like, yes. right during the during the eighties. Supposed to be a fun hip comedy,
1: a la Summer Vacation. Yeah, National Olympic yeah. Summer Vacation.
0: Kind of trying to ride
1: that wave. And Caddyshack, because uh, this movie feels yes. like Summer Vacation meets Caddyshack. Yeah. Snobs versus slobs, which was a big '80s trope. Yeah, ner- it's, even, it's nerd- even in Ghostbusters. Yeah,
0: nerds versus jocks, kind of like. Yep, yep. So
1: yuppie aristocrats versus the blue collar everyday yeah. guy.
0: Yuppies versus the downtrodden.
1: Yeah, yep. That was that was the main trope of a lot of films. Yeah, yeah. That's um, what's going on here.
0: I felt that there was stuff in this movie that they wanted to do, but they didn't put it in the final edit.
1: Such as um, the entire John Larroquette yes, subplot. That was where I was going to go. It's the whole <laughs> yeah. thing with John Larroquette. Yeah, what's his deal? He, he just gay? came into the movie. Is he trying to have an affair with? Her? Do they have an affair? We don't know. There's like two scenes where they she's getting close to him, and, and then at the end he's just like supporting John Candy and watching their dog. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I don't think you ever see his kids again. No, his son's there. What, is he there? It's, it's weird yeah, it yeah just, it's, and it just happens cut. and it's gone yep you never it's never addressed it's never mentioned yeah is he a threat is he another antagonist or because, is he just a guy
0: because in a better movie you would see um the character kind of go on vacation drift away from his family because he gets injured or something or mm, he's, he's burned out burned out can't yeah. participate in activities with the family so the family goes off has fun and then hooks up with another family and kind of there's tension between them because he's not participating, but then she's getting closer, friendlier with somebody else. Yeah. And, and
1: even if that guy isn't interested in her, it makes candy jealous. Yes. Right. So
0: what would cause him to wake up? Yeah. comes to wake up. He either is, and a lot of the stuff is in this movie, but it's not like completely realized. Yeah. Yeah. It's so a good way to put it. So what he would do is either drink his sorrows or go somewhere to, like, be alone and befriend somebody like he does in this movie with Rip Torn. But then he would get, like, wisdom or knowledge or encouragement from him. And it's like, you need to get your family back. You need right. to do this thing as a family. And then he would have a conversation with John Larroquette.
1: Or not. Or not. Yeah. Or, or he would yeah.
0: get his family back yeah. and win his family over again.
1: Yeah, because the first half of the film is the typical 80s. <laughs> the emasculation of the modern man. Yeah. Second half of the film is him rediscovering his him <laughs> rediscovering his masculinity. Yes. Right. Re- recapturing his youth and yeah. himself. His passion. Because yeah. he's stuck in a rut. Absolutely. And he's a grouch and he's a grump at he's the beginning. Demoralized, the he's demoralized. Yep. Yeah. He's beaten. wallowing in his own sorrows. Yes. And he has to regain his sense of self. He does it by taking down this rich a-hole who Richard Crenna is probably one of the best parts of the film I think. He is so over the top as the villain, which might bother people. He's he's a one-note jerk. Oh yeah, like a horrible jerk the whole way through. And I think I, he's just hamming it up and I think it's pretty good. I like it. It's That 80s style. He's not judge snails Schma- or smales or whatever, but he's close. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it, it's
0: it's pretty good. There there's a lot of uh I would say diamonds in the rough in this movie. There's individual scenes at work. Yeah, there, there's stuff that needed to be tweaked, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. they needed a complete story. Yes. And I think this would have been a
1: better movie. All right, let's go on to number three. Number three, uh, Only the Lonely. I'm family. right there with you. I think we're going to, we agree on the placement. I think we might differ about the movie. I'm interested okay. in what you were going to say about this. Have you ever seen this before? Uh, this is the first time I've ever seen it. Okay, came out in 91, currently has a 62% Rotten Tomatoes. What is the plot of Only the Lonely? Uh, you have a mama's boy who
0: (laughs) is basically trapped, taking care of his elderly mother, who finds love for the first time.
1: Yeah, yeah. Mine uh, was two late bloomers meet, fall in love, and try to live happily ever after, but they have to get past his controlling mother first. Mm, Yes. Um... So this is your first time. This is the first time I've seen I've this seen movie. I've seen this movie a bunch. Okay. What are your thoughts on Only the Lonely? This is a um, different role for yes, John Candy. Th- this
0: is more of a comedy romance movie.
1: And a little bit of drama.
0: A little bit of drama. Yeah. Um, I actually like this movie. Um, I was kind of surprised. Uh, I think it is... Even though this is the first time I viewed it, I think it may be an underrated John Candy movie.
1: It is. An, I, yeah, I would agree with you.
0: Um, The female protagonist which is played by i can't remember her name ali sheedy yes who was from breakfast Breakfast club Club. (laughs) um this is another john hughes film
1: i think he wrote it but christopher columbus
0: christopher columbus
1: directed directed it it.
0: yeah um we get another triumphant return in this movie
1: who um i can't think of his name oh my gosh you're thinking of the patron saint of our podcast how could you forget his name you're not of true faith the patron saint (laughs) of the podcast Kevin Dunn from Transformers, from Ghostbusters 2, Bette Midler's husband himself, Kevin Dunn! <laughs> Woo! Patron Saint, all hell, Mill Anglin. That's what you're thinking of, <laughs> Yes, right? yes. Interesting connection, um, too. And,
0: and Macaulay Culkin. That's too. what I was going
1: to say, interesting connection. Macaulay Culkin's in this. He's also in uh, Uncle Buck. Matthew Lawrence is in Planes, Trades, and Automobiles. And Joey Lawrence is in the he's the kid in um, the movie we just talked about Summer Rental. Summer Rental. So okay. it's like this, it's like, this, this like, just like weird connection of like kids that worked in the '80s or in all of these movies. Yes, yeah. So what are your, okay? Only the lonely. Um,
0: only the lonely. Uh, it's kind of surprising. Like um, you got a lot of like heartwarming moments, and you got a lot of some comedy moments, and you get to see John Candy actually pull off. Uh, something other than straight comedy. Yeah. Yep. Um, and he does it well, actually. Very um, well.
1: Have you ever seen JFK? He has a, kind of a side character role in JFK. Yeah. Yes, and certainly. he does phenomenal in that.
0: Um, I, I think I read a quote or, or something about this movie. Um, the one that plays mother, what's her name? Maureen O'Hara. Maureen O'Hara, yes. She told him, do not be afraid to act. To really act.
1: And he can. Yeah, and he this can. This movie proves it. So yeah it does um do you recognize her by the way maureen o'hara she's super uh famous for one film in particular she's the original young single mother from the original black and white a miracle on 34th street really that's her okay amazing you can pick it up in the voice a little bit but she looks like a completely different person. it's a lifetime yeah yeah but you know between those two films you're talking, I think, decades. 30s or 40s in uh, 1990s. You're talking 40, 50 years. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. Uh, I I know Christopher or uh, like John Hughes and Christopher Columbus like wanted that was her character. Yeah, they wrote it for her. They wrote
1: it for her. Brought her out of retirement. They brought her out of retirement. <laughs> she was like
0: in the Bahamas or something like yeah. that, they retired, and they like drug her out. Yeah. For this. What did you
1: think of her? What did you think of of her her performance and the character itself? Um, she
0: did really well as um. Uh, the guilt trip mother, yeah, she, bigoted, she, big, yeah, very yes, very bigoted, very bigoted. Um, old crusty guilt trippy. The mother, interesting, yeah, the interesting mix angry, with her angry Irish mother.
1: Yeah, she's a combination of shaming him and also smothering him. Yeah, so like he wants to lose weight at the very beginning of the film. I think it's got a great opening. Yeah,
0: he's just kind of walking through the town, like, neighborhood, and yeah. he's saying hi to everybody, and everybody knows. Everybody knows your name.
1: (laughs) Yeah, everybody knows Danny. Yeah, he's a cop, and it's Johnny Candy, and we love him. And he, you know, he's in nice older home, and he goes in, he sits at the table, and he's reading the newspaper. It's you, you get the sense that this is their daily ritual.
0: Yeah, it's a routine. She's asking for
1: the thing that he gets here every day, and she wants to know where the Danish is, his Danish, and he wants to eat low fat yogurt (laughs) to lose weight instead, and she simultaneously shames him and smothers him. She shames him for eating "quote sissy" food, then also smothers him by saying, "You're a growing boy." He's almost forty in this movie. Yeah,
0: yeah, it's a running joke that he's thirty-eight.
1: Yeah, and she treats him as if he's a child. And what are you anorexic now? Or you know, and just makes these comments that are insulting, digging, degrading, tearing him down, manipulative. All manipulative, under the guise of smothering him with love. Yeah, that's very hard to pull off. I think she does a good job. Yeah what did you think of the gimmick of the reoccurring his reoccurring flashes of yeah um, his imagination? We're going into his imagination for these worst case scenarios. Did that work or did it feel out of place?
0: I kind of think it felt a little bit out of place. Um, I I think that maybe that's probably the weakest part of the movie. Mm. Uh, they do it a little bit too much. Yeah. I think they do it what four or five times. Yeah. Um, I could have, like, if they did it, like, twice, maybe three times. Yeah.
1: It almost, to me, it almost feels like it's from a different type of movie. Yeah, This is more of, like, a dramedy romance. It felt more at place from um, a broader comedy. I was
0: going to say Throw Mama from the Train. Yes. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Which is a broader comedy. It's a dark comedy. Yeah. It's a broader kind of comedy. It's more directly funny. This is a romantic drama that has humorous moments in it. Yeah. there are very few gags and those are gags those are gags and so it feels like ooh that's a little uneven they're not bad they just feel like they're from a different movie and they probably would be funny in a different movie that was that was tilted that way
0: yeah if it was tilted more towards comedy than yeah. than the romance and the drama aspect then yeah it, it would
1: fit better this movie has an unusual narrative structure what i mean by that is the typical film like this would end with he tells off the mom he, he knocks out his brother and he proposes to the girl and they live happily ever after. That's the end of the movie. That's not where the movie ends. All of that happens like halfway or less into the film and they have a couple of breakups and they have a, like, there's, this movie kind of...
0: Are they, aren't they kind of thing? Yeah,
1: zigzags. It doesn't have necessarily a straight path. Did you notice that? And do you feel like it negatively affects the film or the pacing? Because on the, on the one hand, I appreciate that it's it's an unconventional Narrative flow, yeah. It's not. This is not the same old, same old. You've seen a million times romance yeah, movie.
0: Yeah, it's not a paint by numbers film. And I, I, I agree with you. I, I, but I it is a little that. choppy. It's, it's un, yeah. It's unusual and it's different, which can be refreshing sometimes. Mm-hmm. So, um, maybe if people are going into it thinking it's one thing, like thinking, Uncle Buck, yeah, or <laughs> Uncle Buck, or something like they're thinking of John Candy in a comedy maybe a little bit romance movie kind of like splash
1: yeah right
0: right but uh yeah maybe it was it linked linked too much to romance for general audiences to really accept john candy in that role maybe if he had more performances down the road and change people's perspective of him kind of like um robin williams did right and um trying to think another person that was oh uh tom hanks Right. He's, right. A, he's a great example. I mean, he was... Almost straight comedy. Straight comedy in the 80s. Even and Michael Keaton as well. Michael, yeah, Michael you know, Keaton. And they right. broke out of that box. And I think if John Candy had a longer life, I think he would have broken out of that box too.
1: That's the thing. This movie makes me sad. One, it's a sad... There's, there's, there's sad sadness moments in this film. Yes. Two, um, it was like we were just getting... We were just starting to see what he was capable of. His,
0: his full potential. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It,
1: this was like the... The tip of the iceberg of his
0: performance, and we abilities. never got to see
1: it. Yeah, and that's really bothersome. And I,
0: well, the other Th- thing is that's, that's why I think this is an underrated film because, I mean, it's probably one of his best acting performances. Yeah, yep. And it's such a low-rated film
1: and almost forgotten film. Hmm. So. Yeah, and and it didn't do well when it came out. I have to go back to ninety-one. Isn't it, when it came in ninety-one? Yeah, yeah. Ninety-one. Could we have accepted a? very heavy, very overweight man as a leading romantic man in 1991. Could we, could audience, could audience, modern audiences in 1991 accept a significantly overweight, traditionally comedic actor doing more of a romantic drama with light moments in it? Cause I think, I don't think that we would have been as accepting of that in 91. And I think that contributed to the fact that this movie didn't do well. Because the typical yeah. thing with this film is no one's ever heard of it, but when people watch it, they go, that was really good. Yeah. How co- how, how come I haven't seen this before? Or why didn't I know about this? Or John Kenny was great in that. Um,
0: Everything I said. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's
1: a typical response. Yeah. But nobody saw it in 1991. This is, this, people didn't want this from him. They wanted Uncle Buck.
0: Yeah, they wanted Uncle Buck, the great outdoors, and planes, trains, and automobiles.
1: Yes. Probably not even great outdoors because that was a huge flop at the time as well. I love but, great outdoors. I it caught on through cable, but yeah. you're right. They want they wanted give us just straight funny. Ooh, give us just give us straight funny. And this is we want a comedy from John Candy. This is this is a very bittersweet movie. Yeah. Um, I want to point out to uh, Anthony Quinn who plays the great next door neighbor. Or I can't remember another side character. He's great in the film. Yes, he's really great. I recognized him
0: from. Uh... Action Last action hero. Last action hero. Yeah, <laughs> so you're
1: talking about a world famous actor who worked in like the great days of Hollywood, with Brando and James yeah, Dean, and then he ends up in, in Last Action Hero from sch- Schlock. <laughs> schlock. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's sad. Yes, it is. It is sad. Um, I do think that the mood this movie has one more flaw to it. It's that Chris Columbus's direction is a little listless at times. There's a lot of shot, reverse shot, long, some tracking shots long shots there's a couple of good touches the way he does some things there's a scene when they have a blowout and they're both riding the bus home the mom and and danny and they're just silent and they're on an empty bus either side and then like the bus goes into a tunnel and just goes black and just holds on black for a while great signifying their relationship so there's there's but that's few and far between it's a lot of just shot reverse shot shot reverse shot Ally Sheedy, I think, gives a good performance here. She is anxiety-ridden, vulnerable, a little strange. Introverted. Introverted. But also, underneath that, once Candy gets to know her a little bit and we get to know her, she's actually really strong. Yeah. And actually really knows what she wants out of life.
0: Yeah, uh, I think because yeah, uh, the character brings brings her personality to the surface more.
1: Yes, yes. So she's she's not just played as this wallflower this weak-willed woman the whole time yeah once we get to know her there's more to her that's good i also feel maybe she's a little bit miscast just based on age she was significantly younger than john candy in 1991 yeah you know in in 87 or 86 she's playing a teenager 85 whenever breakfast club came out 84 or whatever six five years ago yeah she's a teenager in high school which she's obviously in her mid-20s but she's now the love interest for a 40 year old john candy it's a little, it just, I it was, don't, I, it just didn't, maybe didn't work Yeah. as well as it could have with a, not because of her performance. No, no. Her yeah, performance, yeah, is per, performance is good. Both of their performances are really yeah. good. Um. And at the end, I'm fine with it, but maybe an older actress would have been more appropriate, but I don't know.
0: You ageist. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I get you what you're, <laughs> you're saying. You understand what I'm
1: saying? Yeah. Uh, it just didn't feel right. Or likely. Or the two yeah, of them possible. would be together. Yeah. 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 Like. You almost needed more of like a um, Adrian from Rocky, like a Talia Shire, like somebody, how she's acting in the the first Rocky film. Somebody a little bit more shop dame,
0: plain, plainer. Yeah, yeah. Even yeah. though uh, his brother says she is plain, I was like, I don't think she's I she. Yeah, yeah. That's the other thing. I was it's like, like she's not I that
1: plain. She is, especially at that time, is an attractive woman. Yeah, she's not. She's Plain. Not, she's not playing. Yeah,
0: that was a weird line. I was like, "What?"
1: Yeah, yeah. They're talking about her like, like, like she's like ugly or something. And I'm like,
0: "Are we looking at this? Are you are we, yeah, are we talking
1: about Ali Sheedy. <laughs> yeah. So it's some cast, maybe it'll be some cast issues there. But yeah. all right, Pat, what was your number two? My number two is going to be Uncle Buck, of course. Yes. Yes. 1989's Uncle Buck currently has a 64%. So, on Rotten Tomatoes, it's right there with Only the Lonely. Although, this is the... More well-known, traditional John Candy film. Yeah, and I feel like this is almost... Even more so than playing Strings and Albums, because they're a duo. This is a John Candy movie. Yes. I think this, for a lot of people, is his definitive role. This was his big most... Like, this movie was huge. It made eighty million dollars in nineteen eighty nine as a big, comedy. That's big money. Yeah, when movies didn't make that money. Yeah, so that doesn't sound like a whole lot today. <laughs> no, but that's like a budget of an Adam Sandler Netflix movie. That's big money in the eighties for the for a comedy, especially. Yeah. What would you say the Synopsis. plot is? Yeah, um, uh, Uncle Buck family has
0: crisis and calls wayward estranged brother to babysit children. Yeah,
1: yeah. That's I think that's perfect. Mm-hmm. Yep. What are your thoughts about Uncle
0: Buck? um I like this movie, obviously, <laughs> right <laughs> um, this is his I would say I would agree with you, this is probably one of his more iconic roles, and we I think I've said this a couple times during this podcast. Um, but there's there's just key scenes from this movie that just are ingrained in everybody's brain of what John Candy is. yeah, uh, the one that always stuck with me is uh, when he's in the kitchen and he's making the pancakes. yes. And giant pancakes. giant pancakes, it's hilarious because it's big. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: big things are funny. Yeah, um, I don't know. It, it's it's a really endearing story too, too because you got John Candy who is a schlub,
1: yeah, shiftless, gambling, gambling, bum. horse race rigging kind of. He would find himself as a crazy, out of work bum uncle.
0: Yeah, so <laughs> like he, right. he he is not an ideal person. Yeah, right. When you first meet the character. Right. And the kids are used to th- certain ways. Mm. And he comes in and just dist- basically in the beginning disrupts their lives completely. He's cooking our garbage. <laughs> yes.
1: <laughs> I love that line.
0: Yeah. He's cooking our garbage. He's cooking
1: our garbage. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, God. But you, you see this, this uh, process of the characters changing the kids and Him, Uncle Buck, changing like he becomes a better person by the end of the week, and they become a better family. And they become a better family, which
1: is amazing because they're broken. They're both both sides are broken. Yes, yeah, and they're just the missing piece of the puzzle for each other. He's a out of work person. He's easy to look at and say he's a bum. He's broken. Throw him away. Yeah, and that's what they've done. His brother and his
0: just discarded him.
1: Yeah, they don't cut him out of the pictures. No relationship with him. He's an embarrassment. And she has this great line, and it's subtle, but she says, Could you picture him in this house? Yeah. The snobbery of that. You know, he's, he's, he's not good he's, enough. He's low class. Yeah. They're high class. They're yuppies, live in a wealthy Chicago suburb, you know, whatever, whatever. They both have these power careers, and but their whole family's a mess. They don't even know when the, what sport the kid's in or what's going on in the kid's life. They're estranged from their daughter. Like, yeah, the dad's oblivious. Yeah, he's just reads the paper and goes to work. Yeah, the mom's a jerk. Yeah. Um, so they're, they're completely opposite types of people, but they're both broken. Great John Hughes stuff here. The opening scene of the film is three kids coming home from school, three different ways, and it, it's, once again, it's subtle, but your brain picks it up. This is a family that's living separate lives. Even the siblings are separate. They're all yeah. coming home from separate ways. They come home. It's nothing but bickering and fighting. John Hughes was really good at both writing kids and directing kids, which is really hard to do. How many movies have we watched that have terrible kid actors, kid performances? Um, I can't even name them. All. <laughs> right, they have three of the best kid actors in this movie from the from Tia all the way down. Gabby Hoffman who plays Maisie, Ma- Macaulay Culkin who plays Miles, and uh, Gina Louise, whatever her last name is, um, Tia. Who plays Tia? Yeah, she's one of the all-time great angsty bee. <laughs> bees. Yeah. Teen bees. She's fun- great at that. And it seems like there are teenage girls that are just like that.
0: Yes. <laughs> That's a real person. And the
1: kids' dialogue of the younger kids is they say stuff like that. Kids think like that. They talk like that. They you know, it's just like little flourishes of when John Candy has this great scene where he's like. Did you really brush your teeth? Because I have a friend that works downtown at the police department lab. Da, 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 and the way they look at each other. Like, oh, crap. Oh, crap. And they're ble- like, that's a moment you would really have with real kids. Yeah. And she's laying in bed and she's just got this look on her face. And she says, if that's true, we're really going to have to start brushing our teeth. That's not a guffaw moment, but kids talk like that. And adults have a hard time writing and directing for kids. Spielberg was always good with kids. John Hughes was good with teens. He's good with kids. He, this is a really solid film. Yeah. And I was, this is the first time I've ever watched it to really analyze it. And I'm picking up all these things that are so subtle, that are so solid. Two more. Okay. Kids come home. We get an establishing shot of hastily strewn Chinese takeout. That tells you everything that one, and it holds that holding establishing shot of takeout boxes. Tells you everything about this family. When we cut to the family, they're in this fairly ostentatious 80s, crystal clear, glass everything um, dining room. They're eating on fine china, but it's takeout.
0: Yeah, it's Chinese food. It's and she's wearing
1: like an ascot, you know, and they're all dressed up and they're all prim and proper. And they're just living the yuppie dream, but they're eating crap takeout food. Like, the, yeah, because the parents are that too busy, tells, right, too busy to cook. Too busy. That tells you everything about yeah. that family. They, yeah, they don't have time
0: to participate in the family. Yes.
1: Because they're... It's all about the Presentation and money. Yeah.
0: And, yeah. Yeah.
1: Putting up a good front. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's just like... This is Uncle Buck. Yeah. <laughs> you don't need to do that. <laughs> this is a comedy. Of, yeah, you don't need to do that sort of stuff. Unless you care about your craft. Yeah. And John Hughes cared about his craft as a director. And John Candy... Well, th- This is just great. This is there are great performances uh amy madigan is Shanice. one scene they're in a dive bar eating dessert that tells you everything you know about who those people are what their station in life is what their relationship's like and he says she's trying to get him to come to work yes yeah, she- <laughs> and she's great her accent she's got that chicago cleveland accent you know you know that, that polish kind of you know pierogi care <laughs> you know, you know. Oh, come on, Buck, you got to go to work, you know, and all, you know, and so it's just, it's great. And um, he says, Shanice, if I could think of an excuse you'd buy, I'd use it. That one that tells you everything about him. He's charming, but he's also shiftless. He's a liar. He shirks responsibility. They cut from that line to beep, 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 boop. And you're hearing the heart monitor unrelated and you're looking, and I think you even see it. And you're looking down on the family sleeping, and I think Tia wakes up, and like, or the daughter does one of them, uh, yeah. the mom or Tia, I can't remember. I think both of them. They wake up in
0: a panic. <laughs> and yeah, there's also before a phone the call. phone rings. Yeah,
1: he needs an excuse. The excuse is the heart attack. It's setting it up visually for you. They're responding to the the heart attack before it even happens. It's visual storytelling. It's that John Hughes visual style. It's completely unnecessary. You could have just done a cheap. You cut that next scene they get a phone call that's it yeah no artistry and it would have served the same purpose i, I love this movie i I, th- I think what this movie
0: does great other than like maybe more lower brow comedies I, cuz i don't want to just bash on like today's comedies cuz yeah yeah i mean the 90s is wrought with horrible comedy <laughs> <laughs> movies so yes. it's not just yeah, Current and so is the '80s, right? And, for that and the '80s, yeah. Revenge but, of the Nerds four, <laughs> yes. uh, Police Academy five, Police Academy any of them, any of them. Yeah, yeah. Like but a, yeah. I mean, what this this really does, and we've talked about this in other movies, is not it's just a comedy, but it, it sets it creates a real a real world for you to to tune into, and yeah. it, and it, it yeah. creates real characters that you can identify and sympathize with, which makes the movie more impactful on any level. Yes, because now
1: yes. you're believing the world and you're believing the people. Yes. So and even the like Laurie Metcalf plays the Mercy. <laughs> she kept the frost. Yes. She's a great line. That's a very good line. It's next the weirdo next door neighbor. That's an out of out of this world out of the box weirdo character. Yes. But there's enough reality to I've met women like that crazy women crazy divorced nah she's not quite cat lady crazy divorced high class living off of alimony in the husband the house that her husband pays for she took him to the cleaners she's lonely and she's also a witch like you know like she's she's unhinged unhinged and malicious
0: (laughs) yeah you're not a good person yeah
1: yeah uh, so
0: she's, she's Spy, fan- spying on your neighbors. Cause you're just walking into a stranger's house. Oh yeah. Yeah.
1: She's fantastic. John Candy rarely played stupid. Who's Harry Crumb. He's a little stupid. Yeah. But in most of his movies, he's funny. He's even the butt of the joke. Sometimes he even does physical comedy. He's never stupid. Yeah. He's kind of uh- buck is a bum. He's not stupid. He gets the read on Tia the oldest immediately. immediately has her number, yeah, and the number of her loser boyfriend, um, Del Griffith is not a stupid character. He's not. No, no, he, he's, he's, bumbling, yeah, but he's, not say, he's bumbling. Yeah, he's not stupid. Yeah, he's not stupid. He's he's does not play t- SCTV is a separate thing. He doesn't play. He'll play goofy, little goofy. He'll play uh, bumbling. He'll play silly. He'll play, he'll play a lot of things. Little shifty. Little, little yeah. He'll do physical comedy. But he's never stupid. He's not stupid in the great outdoors. Most comedic actors play stupid because stupid is the easiest laugh. He doesn't play stupid. I think that's what makes him a superior actor and why his movies stand the test of time and why he's beloved by so many generations of people.
0: Yeah, because stupid is easy.
1: Stupid is easy. Yeah, John Candy's awesome. (laughs) Yeah, point being, John Candy is awesome. He means a lot to a lot of us as movie fans. Yes. And if you're younger and you don't quite get it, just... Go
0: watch. Watch the first three. Like playing Transomobiles, Uncle Buck, uh, Only the Only. Watch Splash. Watch Brewster's Millions. Brewster's Millions. Watch The Great Outdoors. Watch Home
1: Alone. He's in that. Yeah. <laughs> He's one of the that's one of the funniest parts of Home Alone to me, actually. Polka Polka Polka. Yeah. Don't watch Going Berserk. Yeah. Don't watch that uh don't, i i don't, own it but don't watch it don't watch wagons east do not watch wagons east uh,
0: canadian bacon you can watch that uh, i don't it's like okay. that movie. yeah it's got um what's his name in it uh i'm blanking out names <laughs> it's got what well, he's got Well, he's
1: canadian isn't he yeah i, I don't watch canadian bacon <laughs> Uh, Delirious isn't even, people hate Delirious. Delirious isn't even really that bad. I think it works better today than it did then. Yeah. And I think it was a little too meta or something, where he's the soap opera writer and he ends up going into the soap. Oh, yeah. He's got yeah. the typewriter. That's right. He can write. It's a little too meta, I think. It's yeah. a little too ahead of its time. Maybe watch Who's Harry Crumb, but that, I used to love that movie and I rewatched it a couple years ago and, yeah. ooh, that's not, ooh, it's cringy a little bit. Yeah. But. Watch John Candy movies. Oh, yeah.
0: <laughs> Just watch John Candy yeah. movies.
1: And if you're a huge fan of John Candy or if we you love one of his films that maybe we didn't mention, hit us up. Because he also did. Not that I'm going to spoil that. But he also uh, was a great voice actor and did a lot of, I think he was in uh, Fightful Goes West. He was the cat.
0: Yes, he was the cat. <laughs> no, was that Dom DeLuise?
1: I wasn't Dom DeLuise. Might have been Dom DeLuise. Yeah. I've seen the rescuers down under. He did a bunch of voiceover work. I don't know. Uh, Tell us what he did for Disney. <laughs> or Don Bluth. Thanks for listening to
0: the show. You can send us your thoughts on this episode to patandjasonpod at gmail.com and we may read your thoughts on a future episode. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash
1: patandjasonpodcast and follow us
0: on Twitter at Pat and Jason.
1: You can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, or your favorite podcast app. We have new episodes every Wednesday. While you're at it, please rate and review us on iTunes. Those reviews really do help out the show. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram, at Binge Movies. And our theme is by Beach Bonanza. Make sure you check those guys out. On our next episode we'll be binging the films of Amy Adams which means we'll be watching 2007's Enchanted, 2009's Julie and Julia, 2012's The Master, 2014's Big Eyes, and we'll be reviewing 2016's Arrival which currently holds uh, as we're recording this Um, Unknown Percent (laughs) Rotten Tomatoes I thought you said we weren't going to do musicals then Oh, yeah. Chanted is uh, a musical, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh well. Oh, well. <laughs> we'll do it for Amy. So tune oh. in next week for our Amy Adams episode. Do you know very much about Amy Adams? Um, You'll notice that we discreetly got away from Batman v Superman or Man of Steel. So
0: those, those, those are movies? She did those? <laughs> <laughs> Two
1: turds in <and> a fountain. <laughs> each one seeking billion dollars. Uh, All right. Yeah. Until next time. Been John. See ya.